Welcome, fellow pirates. Some big news in the Bucks world and the football world this week. Uh, yesterday, it was announced, obviously, that we're going to be the team for Hard Knocks. And I think that's something to be excited about. Uh, we have a lot of players who I think are going to capture the hearts of the HBO audience. I know a lot of you guys are worried about Jameis going off the cuff, speaking from his heart. It's legitimate worry, but you know what? It's going to be entertaining for us because we're the ones that matter and people are going to hate us if they're going to hate us, but we're going to have fun with it. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm going to love seeing the ins and outs of our front office, how we work. I'm really fired up about that too. So in other football news this week, we, we awoke yesterday to the really weird and strange end to the strange saga of, of Aaron Hernandez. And as a Gators fan, I followed that story really closely. And, and while I, of course, at this point have zero sympathy for Hernandez himself, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last 24 hours. And the question that's been dancing around in my head is why someone like him uh, chose the route he did when he was privileged as he was and built a life that so many people would dream of as an NFL player making millions. So, you know, I want to know what causes someone to, to choose a murderous, uh, gang-devoted life when they have the entire world by the balls, the money, the fortune, the fame. It's a question I keep wondering about, and all I can say is I hope the families of his victims are able to find peace for all he did. So I'd be curious um, in the discussion thread that I post why you all think that something like that could have happened to somebody like him. On a happier note, we picked up the fifth-year option of Mike Evans this week as well, which I think we all agree is a no-brainer. Well-deserved. He's got a big day, uh, payday coming. Uh, and we've got a great target to throw to for years to come. So now let's get into questions. Starting out with you, Mike, who always gets upvoted to the top with these great questions. He wants to know, everyone is in a tizzy about Booger McFarland, former Buccaneer legend. Not really a legend, but, you know, we love him. Saying that we're sold on taking a running back with our first. You make doesn't buy it. What I'm interested in is what do you think we do with the second to seventh rounds? Round three and and later are where you build a championship caliber team. I'd love your take on it. That's a great question you make. With regards to Booger's assumption that we're going to take a running back, I've made clear that I think this would be the worst direction to take our franchise in. But honestly, I wouldn't dismiss it as a possibility. Someone on our Buccaneers made a really good point this week that Light rarely keeps his cards close to his chest. And we know pretty well that he was interested in Evans and Jameis, and by the time Hargreaves fell to us, it was almost a given he was going to be the pick. The interest in running back this year has been pretty overt. And while normally one could consider the smoke and mirrors, let's just say that with Jason Light, I don't see him getting far in the World Series of Poker anytime soon. I think there's a 50% chance we take a running back with that first pick. The other 50%, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you where we're going to go, but I think offensive tackle, D-line, cornerback would all be worthy of our consideration and fill immediate holes. Moving on past round one, this is where I get a little bit less confident. In, years, uh, in three years of Jason Light drafting, we haven't gotten a lot of hits from our starters selected after round one. And in round two, Marpet has been a huge success, and Light deserves a ton of credit for boldly trading up for a Div 3 player to make that happen. But the rest of the track record isn't stellar. Safarian Jenkins is gone. Roberto Aguayo, he could very well get cut in the coming months. Donovan Smith, he's had two years in the league, but we'll have a better idea of his status after his third season. But early indications are 
that his ceiling is pretty limited. Early signs say Noah Spence is going to break out, so I hope he makes that jump in year two, but of course it's too early to say one way or another. And of course, you know, Quan Alexander, amazing pick. Uh, what I want to see with Light this year is for him to start finding the late round steals because, like you said, this is where championship teams are made. We've wasted two picks on fullbacks in the last two years. Neither made it to the final roster. There's Dan Vitale and, and Joey Osefa. From Light's first two drafts in 2014 and 2015, the only players, uh, only player rather, taken in round five or later left on the roster is Kevin Pamphile. We can do better than that. And in terms of uh, uh, what we should do in the later rounds, we need more defensive line depth, particularly at, at defensive tackle, because Clinton McDonald is in the final year of his contract and may not make the roster altogether. And our secondary, not only do we lack uh, depth there, but we barely have any starters that really inspire confidence. Uh, at tight end, I think we could use a secondary threat to complement Cameron Brait. And it's unclear what the current regime thinks of Devontae Bond. And no one knows how healthy he'll be. But, but Sam is another possible need, the one I'm, I'm a little bit less concerned about. Because if you look at the stats last year, uh, Daryl Smith took about half the snaps that um, Levante and um, Quan Alexander did. You know, he was on the field for obvious running downs, but that was about it. Uh, so Sam is less of an important role in that Mike Smith defense. Uh, I hope the later rounds are going to be filled with a little bit less uh, bold fanfare uh, like the Aguayo trade was and, and more about making the simple moves to fill our needs. So moving on to the next question from The Hood, The Bad, The Ugly, who asks which first or second stringer might not make the final roster this season. I think we're going to have a much better idea of this following the draft next week, but right now my gut tells me Evan Smith, Clinton McDonald, Luke Stocker, George Johnson – would be my most likely to go because the cap figures contract status and the state of their abilities. We almost know for certain that either Nick Folk or Roberto Aguayo will go. And I'm really hoping uh, Aguayo is going to be the guy who makes the roster. Uh, we, we owe it to ourselves to give him one more chance to succeed. Uh, you know, but if he is, if he's not looking good in training camp, he, he's a goner. If we draft a running back, I'm almost sure that Peyton Barber will be gone by the end of camp, which is unfortunate because he's one of the, the easiest players to root for. And, and I think this question is a good opportunity to bring up Doug Martin, who you make also asked about. That's a million-dollar question right now, right? What do we do with Doug Martin? The crux of how to deal with Doug, it boils down to this. We can rely on Doug with the certainty of winning a game of craps at this point. We get really tantalized by the productive seasons with him, like, like his rookie season in 2015. Uh, but it makes us kind of blinded to the bad ones. What I, I know about Doug is, is this. Even with the voided signing bonus, we're paying him a little bit more than he's worth. We're not sure he's going to be able to produce reliably, even if his contract is restructured and he is healthy. And there are plenty of rookie backs coming out who will be cheaper and maybe even more reliable than, than Martin. So he's another starter, a second stringer, who's on the roster bubble. Hard to be saying that, you know, a uh, year after he signed that big contract extension, but that's life in the NFL. I think the best way to deal with Doug is to demand a restructure, and if he declines, I think it's time to bid farewell. I hope he pulls it together, and he's the kind of guy that I'd have no hard feelings one way or another if we do let him go. Uh, on to I Hold Up Buses, whose username cracks me up all the time. 
Who wants me to look at our light era draft in retrospect and who got taken too soon or too late? So I hold up buses uh, in your comment. I think you, you nailed it with your own examples here and saying Aguayo probably wasn't second round material and that Quan more likely would have gone in the second or perhaps even earlier. But hindsight is, of course, 2020. And when you think about it, outside of Quan and Marpet, uh, we haven't had a lot of draft skills yet, but we might be able to add uh, Noah Spence to that steal list pretty shortly if he keeps up his, his trajectory. Um, as I talked about it earlier with Umex questions, though, we haven't found our late round rarity yet, like a Richard Sherman or an Antonio Brown or a Shannon Sharp. Those kind of players are, of course, the exception. They're not the rule, but wouldn't it be great if we could get one? Uh, here's to hoping next week we'll, we'll find that gem finally that, that we've been looking for, that, that late round gem that really turns the franchise uh, around, takes them to the next level. All right, my boy Hockey, 135, across the pond, over in Great Britain. Throwing me the hardball this week. And anytime I comment on this kind of thing, I get downvoted into oblivion. I get called a cuck or whatever the, the, new, the word is of the week. And I get a lot of anger, but I'm just calling it like I see it. And let's agree to disagree. You know, we'll talk about this in the thread. He's asking me, quote, you guys ready for this? I'm sure you know what this is about. Joe Mixon has been slated as a top 15 talent in this year's draft. And a lot of people, including myself, recognize, and he even spelled recognize like, like the Brits do. I love it. That he might well be the most complete back in this class. He's going to get drafted, and GMs are going to play chicken as to how early that is. So my question is, how early could you stomach drafting Mixon if he were to come to Tampa? So, Hockey, I'll be honest about Mixon. I'll be infuriated if we draft him. Uh, take a look back on our favorite players, universally favorite players with Bucks that we've had in the Red and Pewter. Those are the role models. You know, we got the community leaders. We got guys like like Rondé Barber, uh, Derek Brooks, Warwick freaking Dunn, and John Lynch. That's a big part of the reason why I became a, ba- a fan of the Bucks because their presence in the community was really felt, and positively so. And Joe Mixon is the antithesis of that. Even if he was churning out all pro seasons, I I personally can't root for a guy like that. I can't. The Mixon apologists are going to cry foul. And they're going to say he acted in self-defense and that um, Molitor hit him first. Uh, and, and to both of those points, they're, they're absolutely right. She hit him first, and he did act in self-defense, but certainly not in a proportionate manner. Uh, there were... So many things he could have done to de-escalate that situation. Number one was not had to follow her into the restaurant. Alcohol uh, really does bring out the worst in people. And I'm sure all of us have gone out in Soho and seen bar fights. And probably uh, never had to happen if, uh, if, if people weren't drunk and aggressive and what have you. I think it, it takes a certain kind of animal uh, to respond with a punch like he did. And as we look at the traffic cop incident that happened after, as well as the assault allegations that are surfacing from high school, there's enough with Mixon that I wouldn't want him on my draft board if I were I were Jason Light. I mean, the the, the guy fractured this woman's face. It's 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 crazy. Uh, to go on an aside here, I worked for the Ravens the year that Ray Rice was drafted. And Rice is one of the nicest players I've ever encountered. He, he knew us all by name. He went out of his way to be accommodating to fans. Hell, the dude side my copy of Madden. I played him in NCAA football a few times, the, the game, of course. 
uh, he made a terrible mistake himself. It's caught on camera. It's a lot like Mixon's. And when it happened, it was so surprising to me because it seemed so out of character for him. And I think that's a guy who owned up to his mistake and accepted responsibility for it. I could eat my own words down the road and say this, but I don't believe we're ever going to see that behavior ever repeat from Ray Rice ever again. I hope, I hope not. Mixon uh, waited one, uh, not two, but 882 days before he made any apology for what he did. And, and, and you know what? It came out only after the video itself was released showing what happened. And exactly two weeks after he apologized, he declared for the draft. Does that sound to you like an introspective man who's remorseful for his actions? Or does that sound like a man trying to salvage his draft status? To me, it sounds a little bit like the latter. Mark my words, you're going to see a real problem child in the NFL with Joe Mixon. No to Joe Mixon. Hard pass. And oh shit, I probably just alienated a bunch of you. But, you know, let's talk about this in the thread. Let's let's have some dialogue about Mixon. Uh, we always have good conversations in our Buccaneers, even if we disagree. So let's talk about it. All right, back to the Bucks-related questions. McSteel wants my thoughts on our O-line, our O-line's identity, and where he might go in the draft. McSteel, you're absolutely right, my man. On the interior, we've theoretically built a power run offense. And that was mostly the reasoning to sign Sweezy last year because he's more of a bulldozing guard. And that's where uh, Marpet has performed his best too. But in terms of our identity, I think that's still a work in process. Aside from uh, his desire to be a member of the United Nations because of all of his flags, Dotson is a pretty reliable cog, especially on the run. Marpet is nowhere near his ceiling yet, but uh, those are the only two names that I feel great about going into 2017. Sweezy's obviously an unknown with his injury, and he, he wasn't that stellar an offensive lineman in Seattle. Uh, Pamphile is making some strides, but nothing awe-inspiring in his first two years in the league, or three years. I, I think it's three years. And then Donovan Smith, obviously I shit on him every single week here. Uh, my point is, we don't have the personnel that should make us feel warm and fuzzy when it comes to protecting our most important investment being Jameis Winston. Uh, nor do I feel we have the, uh, the guys who can make our run game a force. The draft is a place we have to consider looking, and I, and I think if Ryan, uh, Ryan Ramsick or Forrest Lamp are there at 19, I think that's a bigger need for us than, than running back. And on the subject of Forrest Lamp, I don't know why, but uh, mark my words, I have a feeling he's going to be the first offensive lineman off the board. I think he's going to be one of those surprising picks, kind of like um, Brandon Scherf was in the 2015 NFL draft when the Redskins took him fifth overall. I don't know if he'll go that high, but but he's somebody uh, that that I could see going a lot higher than folks are anticipating. So you want to talk about lines with identities. Uh, look at how the Browns formed theirs this year by upgrading with, with Zeitler and, and Treader. They already have Joe Thomas at left tackle and Betonio on the inside. Uh, whatever, uh, whoever the Browns go with a QB this year, if that's Kessler, if that's Trubisky, as, as rumored, is going to have a much easier job with those guys in front of them. And Isaiah Crowell is probably going to have a breakout year as a running back as well. Uh, I hope we take a similar approach with how we build around Jameis. Uh, because he's an investment worth protecting. Uh, it's going to make his job a lot easier. If he has time, it's going to make the turnovers go down as well. All right, everybody. Next week, I'm off to Nottingham, United Kingdom. Uh, but uh, so, so no podcast next week. 
but I'm going to conclude with a riddle today, and winner, of course, gets red at gold. You guys keep getting these. I keep thinking I'm making them hard, but apparently they're doozy, so I'm going to bust your balls here. All right? Ready? Don't blame his old line for his time in the dirt, nor the bull-rushing lineman he couldn't avert. No, this former buck just held on the ball, and he held and he held and he sucked overall. Release it, yet we yelled. Release it at once. Our prayers never answered. We made him our dunce. He set a new record for every dropback of the frequency which plays ended in sex. Good riddance, old chap. Ta-ta, goodbye. Which former buccaneer am I? All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Look forward to the discussion in the thread. And by discussion, I mean it's probably going to be people calling me a cuck. Have a good one.